0: This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores.
1: This is Richard Seymour. You're listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest for Two. The best you can be the king kong banging on your chest you can beat the world you can beat the war you can talk the guy go banging on his door you can throw your hands up you can beat the clock yeah. you can move a mountain you can break rocks you can be a master don't wait for luck dedicate yourself and you go find yourself Sitting in the hall of fame.
2: Yeah. well we asked our producer Ian blendin to bring back that intro because we now have eight more inductees in Canton as part of the Pro Football Hall of Fame's modern era class of 2022. And okay, all right. So they're not exactly standing in the hall, not yet anyway, but they will be. And Ira, let's go over that list. We have offensive tackle Tony Baselli, safety Leroy Butler, defensive tackle Richard Seymour, defensive tackle Bryant Young, and linebacker Sam Mills. Then, of course, there is Cliff Branch from the senior category, Dick Vermeil from the coaching category, and Art McNally from the contributor category, all members of the Pro Football's class of 2022. So, Ari, your overall impressions of this Hall
1: of Fame class. Well, Clark, I'll start with this. Uh, we had said in anticipation that this looked like a bit of a cleanup year because there was no Peyton Manning. Mm -hmm. Um, or, or Charles Woodson uh, as first year eligibles. And in that respect, uh, I think that turned out to be true in terms of Boselli, Butler and Seymour guys who had been in that room quite a bit, had made the top 10 quite a bit Clark. And now in a sense, they're out of the way. Right. Um, That's right. To me, two surprises, um, Bryant young, um, who, uh, I'm very proud of uh, the committee for honoring a guy that not everybody necessarily knew about, his impact. Um, and Sam Mills, to me, I think maybe the biggest surprise. But Clark, you're about to tell us uh, a factor uh, concerning the Sam Mills candidacy that I, I think played a little bit of a role in, in getting him in. Yeah, there are two
2: factors to me. One is it's his 20th and last year of eligibility. To be a modern era candidate, you have to have 20 years of eligibility, and that begins five years after your retirement. So he was in his 20th and last year. If you are not elected, you then go into the senior category, and we all know about the senior category. It's the great abyss where everyone goes and very few people are called. But that's one factor. I think Sam's passing had another thing to do with it, and uh, I think there was a um, real sympathetic view of Sam. A very good player. Um, Hall of Fame worthy people felt. And so he goes from a finalist the previous two years that didn't make it from 15 to 10. He didn't make the first cut from 15 to 10 to now going to the final five as an inductee in his last year of eligibility. And I think those two factors played a role. And I'm not saying it was unfair. I'm just saying those two factors, I think, played roles. And Clark, uh,
1: speaking about factor one, that abyss that was looming, For Sam Mills, Clark, that that didn't uh, it didn't put Clay Matthews over the top. And years ago, it didn't put Joe Jacoby over the top. Interesting.
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh, But with Clay Matthews, at least there was one mitigating factor. That was his first year period as a finalist. First year. So in his 20th year, 20th and last year of eligibility, that's his first year. And to me, it was amazing that he even went to the top 10. He made the first cut. He didn't make the second cut. But you're right about Jacoby. He was in a similar situation as this. In fact, remember in his 17th year of eligibility, which is his first year, I think he went into the top 10. I know he was in the top 10 in one of those years. And so you thought, OK, he's going to move to the next level. He didn't. Sam Mills has never been in that top 10 in 2000 and 2020. He was a finalist, didn't make it to the top 10. 2021 finalist, didn't make it to the top 10. So you go, OK, this is it. He's going into the senior abyss. And he didn't. And, and hallelujah for both those guys. And and Bryant Young, friend of the show, Bryant Young, by the way, really glad to see that. But you are right. That was a surprise, too, because here's a guy who was a first-time finalist in 2020 and then disappears in 2021. He wasn't a finalist. And of the, the returning finalists in 2020, who went to 2021, getting all these numbers, but 2021, he was the only one who didn't return from 2020. He was the only one. And so now... He comes back in 2022, and as you know, we had him on the show. I thought that was great. I thought if he could make it to the top ten, that'd be good. He's in. He's in. That's a shocker. He's in. And, and yeah. Ara, I'll throw the yeah. other shocker at you. I'll throw the other one at you. No first time finalists. No first time. So no first time ballot. Uh, no one made it as a first time Hall of Famer. Demarcus Ware was there, and I thought he was getting in because of his 138 and a half sacks. He didn't. These two guys surprised us by passing him.
1: What do you think? You know what's very interesting about the Demarcus Ware candidacy, Clark, and you know this better than anybody. Our buddy, who we have so much respect for, Rick Goslin, was Demarcus Ware's presenter. So Rick Goslin is advocating for Demarcus Ware as a first year eligible. And believe me, um, he had a lot of worthy credentials on his side. And, Clark, when the smoke clears, Demarcus Weir is on the sidelines. But Rick is a guy who has railed against uh, our propensity to put first-year eligibles in. Clark, he had to be very ambivalent going into that meeting.
2: Yeah, and he had warned Weir about, listen, you know, first ballot, it doesn't always happen. But it has in recent years. Of our last 20 inductees for the modern era class, the last 20, 10 have been first ballot choices. We, have a, we made a rush. these guys we keep putting them in again and again and and with where i thought with 138 and a half he's one behind jason taylor right you go so what well jason taylor was the first ballot hall of famer in 2017 and this guy is ninth on the all-time list so what well everyone who's hall of fame eligible ahead of him they're in they're in so that's why i thought well you know we have a propensity to put in first ballot choices this guy's ninth on the list, one behind a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's getting in. He didn't. That was a shocker to me. That really was. Cool. And as you mentioned, by the way, Butler, Buscelli, um, and Seymour, yeah. they're in. And I think that's no surprise,
1: right? I mean, we, we really felt that all along. Absolutely. You know, Clark, I've said this to you before. You may not share this, but all right, the Baselli case, the short career. And I'm talking about in general, whether it's Terrell Davis, Kenny easily or whatever Clark. This is just me. You might look at it differently. If you're trying to get in on a relatively short career, Clark, in my opinion, the standards are higher for your career. You can't just be one of the best. You, you kind of have to be the very best at your position during your peak. And if you believed like I did, that Baselli met that standard, then I don't have a problem with it. But Clark, if you have a short career, you have to be extra special, in my opinion. Absolutely.
2: And I agree with you. I think he was. He was an all-decade choice, now second team all-decade for the 1990s. But that said, he only played half of that decade. And that's a decade where you have Roof was playing, Ogden was playing, Walter Jones was playing or Lando Pace was playing. They're all in, they're all left tackle, same position, but this guy still was an all decade choice and he didn't leave of his own volition. They screwed up a surgery. That's why he had to retire. The team doctor or the team physician, whoever it was, somebody's team physician screwed up a surgery, a shoulder surgery. So it ended his career. But I agree with you on Tony The, the The sad thing is unlike Terrell Davis, where you have tangible figures, Rushing average, touchdowns, yards per carry. We don't have that for left tackles. And that made it more difficult. But Ira, the rewarding thing to me is in his 16th year of eligibility, he's in. After waiting five straight years as a top 10 guy. In Leroy Butler's 16th year of eligibility, he's in. And he was the only first team all decade choice in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, not in Canton. He was the last man standing. And he's in. And that's good. That's good.
1: That was that was the ultimate decider for Leroy Butler. For me too, yeah. Clark. For me too. You you. Oh, Cosmo's good. <laughs> Cosmo, there. Cosmo. Uh,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he doesn't like Leroy
2: Butler. Who let the dogs Leroy out? Butler
1: and we got a problem over here, Clark. <laughs> uh, Clark, you you can't you can't get around Butler being the last man standing. You can throw out all the stats you want, but he's the last man. And you said first. First team, right? First, first team. team He was Ball first bro. team safety. Yeah. First Can't team. get around that. Can't get yeah, around and, that. And,
2: and I that was on a team that went to two straight Super Bowls. And you're going, okay, Brett Favre, Reggie White, you can tell me that's all there is. And covering the 49ers, I saw a lot of the Packers here in that decade. Leroy Butler was a factor. And I remember Mike Shanahan saying, that's a guy you have to account for. There's certain guys you have to account for. Butler was one of those guys. So I'm glad to see him. I'm glad to see him in there. And I'll bring in Ian Glendon here because Richard Seymour is finally in and and you look at those patriot teams in from the early 2000s they won those three super bowls in four years that wasn't really tom brady it wasn't all tom brady certainly he was a, a factor and became a major factor as t as the years went on but that team was largely defense and we've got one guy from offensive defense who's in there one guy that's ty Law. We have nobody else. Now, clearly, Brady's going in. Vinatieri, you'd think, would be going in. And I don't want to hear about Randy Moss. I mean, he played, you know, 2007 and 2000, whatever it was, 11 or whatever. But anyway, um, he played three and a half years. They didn't win a Super Bowl with him. I'm talking about those first three Super Bowls when they won those. There's one guy. You can tell me one guy carried that team? One guy? Uh,
0: You know, I'm pretty sure that in some form or fashion, Belichick has has said or, or it's been relayed. From Belichick, that Richard Seymour is, well, obviously not his best draft choice because we know he drafted Tom Brady, but likely his best outside of Tom Brady. And the way he speaks about him, just the, his impact on the game, I, I tend to listen to Bill Belichick when when he speaks glowingly of a guy like Richard Seymour. And you, you just don't, um, in a way you don't uh, win, you don't have that type of success on defense without Richard Seymour. I mean, the same way that you know, maybe Aaron Donald doesn't show up on the stat sheet based on the position he plays. I mean, it's a little bit different now than it was 20 years ago. But, you know, even then, it, it, he, he's not racking up these, you know, he's not going to break the sack record. And, and Richard Seymour certainly wasn't going to break the sack record. But he probably had more impact on the game, play-to-play, game-to-game, series-to-series, than any player that had, you know, 15 sacks in a season for that team.
1: And I think, Clark, I think it's very interesting – that Seymour gets in uh, now. I know he was versatile enough to play tackling, and end, um, but Clark, he doesn't. His presence on the ballot doesn't knock out Bryant Young. Yeah, um, yeah. Who also was a similar player. Young had more sacks, Clark, uh, but Young also had an effect on his teammates. Stubblefield probably wouldn't have been nearly as good without a Bryant Young. Um, and Clark, tell uh, the listeners a little bit about. Um, Bryant Young's unique candidacy in terms of, of what went on in, in terms of a conference call that was set up. I think that was a big factor.
2: Yeah, it was a huge factor. I mean, what happened was Kirk Reynolds, who used to be the public relations director for the 49ers, said, How do we get this candidacy going? I can't believe that he wasn't a finalist in 2021. How do we get him back on the map? So he basically surveyed a group of offensive linemen who played against Bryant Young, figuring if you can get the people played against him and talk about him. Maybe that makes an impact. He said he had more than he said. He had more than two hundred people who volunteered. He put together a conference call that I was on, and it was I think six offensive linemen. Cholera was there. Robbie Tobek was in there. Uh, Kevin Gogan was in there. Guys, you would have recognized from the nineteen nineties, early two thousands, and to a man, <laughs> what they had to say was astonishing. And Ira, you would have been amazed at some of the things they said at least two of them said you know i put him in the class with randall and warren sapp warren sapp is first ballot john randall got in his second year of eligibility bryant young is now in his 10th year of eligibility and they not only said that it might have been gogan who played with bryant young but also played with the cowboys but a couple others said this is how i rank them i rank them by first randall or sap second or randall and sap third they put bryant young ahead of him, and that really resonated with the listeners they would think a seven hall of fame selectors on that call but i was blown away by that too now i covered him and i know what kind of a guy he was and so do you guys ian you, you were you listened to him on our show the friend of the show he's a quiet guy one of the most polite guys that has nothing to do with his candidacy he was a train wrecker out there i mean he destroyed offensive lines why do you think Dana Stubblefield was a defensive player of the year when he had 15 and a half sacks because as a defensive tackle? They were doubling and tripling Bryant Young and allowed Dana and Stubby to get to the, uh, the quarterback. So uh, I'm so glad. This, to me, is just the right thing to do. I never thought it would happen this quickly. I never thought that would happen. But you know, I'm, I'm I- gratified.
1: And Clark, let, let's not dwell too much about Young's effect on the other players because I think one of the great things about our system, now it's not perfect. You and I know that, and we've complained that the improvements need to be made. But Clark, for me, Bryant Young is a guy who, once I started looking at it, I said, this, this guy had 89 sacks yeah. from, from an interior defensive lineman. I had no idea that he had that many sacks. Um, and he was great against the run, too, maybe better than uh, than he was as a pass rusher, Clark. But No question. Some no of these question. guys, you start looking, and the more you look, the more you like it. Bryant Young's one of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And
2: and not to mention here, he had a career-threatening injury. And, and you know, I, I helped present him with Matt Mayoka. Matt Mayoka did a great job on this. But uh, I, I dealt with the, the uh, medical aspect. And doc, dealing with uh, Dr. Michael Dillingham, who was the team doctor at that time, he said when he went out on the field, the first thing he saw was he had a um, – he had a fractured leg. And he said, the first thing I saw was his foot was 180 degrees backwards. And he said, I knew exactly what we're looking at. Um, and it was a, um, a closed fracture. And, and a, it, was, it, was, it was just the whole thing was so sad. And they had to do so many surgeries on because there was a risk of infection. And the risk of infection uh, was, was at one point, not only possible, uh, they looked at it and said, we don't do anything. There's a likely, there's a likely Uh, scenario that if we don't do something immediately we'll have to amputate the leg and so he was in the hospital for 17 days and then came back from that and the next year (laughs) leads the team with I think 11 or 11 and a half sacks becomes the defensive player of the year and was just he was he was just a great player anyway um, I'm I'm glad about that there had to be disappointments and Ira I'm going to start with you disappointments Rondé Barber I know you thought he was getting in I thought he was getting in he didn't make it
1: you wrote a column, Clark, which I, I, I appreciated uh, a week or two before the Zoom meeting where you said, who's going to be the fifth guy? You thought you had a pretty good handle on four guys. And you said, who's the who's the breakthrough? Yeah. And you said, don't be surprised if it's Rondé Barber. I, I took a lot of uh, warmth from that column, uh, Mr. Judge, because you didn't write so many columns like that about John Lynch. <laughs> but John Lynch. What do you got against him? You said, All right, I think he's a fringe, fringe guy. I don't know if he's getting in. Uh, Rondé Barber. Now, I'll make Ian Glendon, our producer, very happy with this. Clark, I don't want to go into great detail. He made progress. Yes, he correct. made progress on that meeting. And in that sense, Clark, I don't want to get ahead of myself. He's on the doorstep. I believe there was no pushback against Rondé Barber. Other people spoke up after I did. And Clark, without um, you know sounding too uh, full of myself, I, I think I opened some eyes in that room about Rondé Barber because he's he a guy where you say, well, he's not Deion Sanders on coverage, but the more you hear about the guy, Clark, it, it, it's tough to deny him that, that gold jacket. So I don't know. I'll be confident going forward, but yeah, there's initial disappointment. Yeah, and sell that to him because getting
2: in that on deck circle is important. That sell that to him because that's what we were telling Bryant Young: if you can get in the top ten this year, you're in great position for either next year or the following year. But get into that top ten, you have to make that first cut. But to me, there is one positive thing that comes out of that, or two positive things. One is he moved forward. The second is that he actually didn't get in because that means. You're going to make a presentation next year for the 11th (laughs) straight year for a Tampa Bay candidate. And I love that. I love listening to your presentations,
1: Clark, uh, Clark, here's another guy. Clark, here's another guy. Now, I think different than Rondé because this guy's been around. Now, this was only Rondé's second year in the room. Clark, what's going on with Zach Thomas's candidacy Uh, and how surprised are you that uh, he doesn't have – he's not posing for a bust right now?
2: Yeah, I'm surprised. I can't say that I'm greatly surprised only because coming into this vote, I felt that some of the voters were a little bit lukewarm on him. That said, this was his third straight year as a top 10 guy. He made it in the top 10. His third straight year as a top 10 finalist. Now, that demonstrates that people are hesitating at at the last minute. They're getting him forward, but they're getting him to, as you said, the doorstep. And then for whatever reason, they're pushing someone else ahead. That someone else this year was either Bryant Young and or Sam Mills. That was a shocker to me, but he's there. Now, can he go forward? Yeah, he'll go forward much like Tony Baselli did, but at some point, I don't know what that point is, but I thought it might be this year. The, the other guy I wonder about is Jared Allen. I mean, what's going on with Jared Allen? He's got no traction, and, and I realize it's only two years of eligibility. However, 136 sacks. I mean, he's only got two and a half fewer than DeMarcus Ware, and yet we we're talking about DeMarcus Ware as being a first ballot guy. Not so much about Jared Allen, and I'm not so sure why, but I must admit, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit conflicted on him, too. It's, it'd be too long to describe here, but but there's some people
1: clearly who who really aren't all that convinced about Jared Allen. Maybe, Clark, maybe the fact that uh, Young and Seymour got in, maybe uh, that hurt him in terms of his position. Uh, yeah. Are we going to put a third defensive lineman in? Sometimes that's a maybe. factor, sometimes it's not. Um, maybe. And Clark, speaking of that, I'm hoping that it's not a factor in terms of position. In 2023, Clark, because I'm going to get your instant observation, I'm going to throw two names out at you. First, I'm going to give you mine. Joe Thomas. Yep. And I used to call him Daryl Revis till uh, the (laughs) PR man said, his name's Darrell. Forget the Daryl. Yeah, forget Um, it. (laughs) uh, So Clark, I think they're two very different candidates. Thomas was great for a long time on, on terrible Cleveland teams. Revis, I think had a relatively short peak career, but Clark, once again, his peak was fantastic. I'm kind of leaning, I'm kind of leaning towards both of those guys going in next
2: year at this point. I, I am too. I think you're right. And, um, Dwight Freeney is also up. I don't think he goes in immediately, but he probably will go in at some point. But, you know, he's going to be up there against Robert Mathis trying to get in as finalists, which would be interesting. But I agree with you on those two. And that makes it more interesting to me for guys like Thomas and Ware. I think Ware gets in next year. I think Barber gets in next year. What happens with Zach Thomas? Do we still tell him to wait? Probably not. I think it's still reasonably wide open that he could get in there um, as he
1: should. Uh, So, Joe... Clark, does Joe Thomas hurt Willie Anderson's uh, chances next year or not necessarily?
2: No, not necessarily, because I think it's something like five of the last six years. I looked at this earlier. Five of the last six years or six of the last seven, we put in two people at the same position. And one year we put in two people at the same position twice. We had Randy Moss and uh, Terrell Owens and you had Erlacher and Ray Lewis in the same class. So it doesn't really doesn't have an impact. Before we get through this class, I want to go to the separate categories. Um, I'm so happy, so happy that Art McNally got in. I presented him. I was on the contributor uh, uh, board when we did when we voted on it. I'm so happy. He's 96 years old. He kept coming up again and again and getting bypassed by other people. Um, You know, it'd be Pat Boland or Bill Gilbrand or Eddie DeBartolo or Jerry Jones. What point does Art McNally get in? And he's finally in. And I'm so happy
1: about that. Ara. I'm really, happy. I think Clark, I think the hesitancy had to do with his, with the, the position, the job rather than Art McNally. If you're going to put an official in, which we should, because they've been a big part of this game for, for a hundred years. Yeah. And it's gotta be Art McNally. It's gotta be Art McNally. be Art McNally. But and, and just, there's some hesitancy about, put, about uh, uh, putting an official in the hall. Yeah, there has been for the the
2: very existence of the Hall. He's the first on-field official, the very first on-the-field official who's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's, to me, sort of astonishing because you look at Cooperstown, you look at the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, the NHL Hall of Fame, they have numbers of officials, lots of officials. This is the first on-field official. Our last word about this class, the biggest surprise of all, biggest surprise of all in my mind, the fact that they were able to keep this quiet for three weeks. (laughs) <laughs> they get the qu- we voted on this class january 17th how did it not leak
1: out i'm very proud of it Clark. i'm very proud of it because Clark we can we can um we can reveal this that um when the meeting started it was going to be like 2021 where the the zoom meeting was going to end yep and the 49 voters were not going to know the names of the finalists and during the meeting clark and you were part of it there was a backlash to that. And the idea was, don't you trust us or whatever. I know it's two or three weeks, but, uh, you know, there's a basic mistrust here. And Jim Porter Clark to his credit came back after a break and said, you know what, we've thought this over and we do trust you. And Clark, I I think we've justified that faith. Yeah, that's right. I I agree. And the more
2: We know about Jim Porter, the better it gets. And we're going to meet with him again on February 17th to talk about some possible changes for the future. Last thing here, Dick Vermeule gets in. Good for Dick. Uh, Cliff Branch, good for him. But please, people on the coaches committee, please, next time you sit down and vote, Buddy Parker. We've forgotten about him. Put Buddy Parker in for God's
1: sake. I'm going to second that, Clark. I believe he won two championships. Clark, didn't he win two and then he was in the championship game the third year? I believe that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he beat Paul Brown. He beat Paul Brown. Then he goes to Pittsburgh, and he puts the Steelers
2: back on the map. But because he was a coach in the 1950s, and because he's no longer with us,
1: he has no traction. I, I don't I don't care if the football public says, buddy who? I don't yeah. care. I don't care. He deserves it. He deserves it.
2: Our final thoughts. Any final
1: thoughts on this or any other subject? Well, I'm, I'm hoping uh, it's a great game Sunday, Clark, um, because the playoffs have been fantastic. And um, here's my memo to Roger Goodell, um, prepare a little better for that uh, annual conference because uh, oh. people, people are playing that video of, of that answer. And uh, I'll let I'll let Ian weigh in on that. But um, Roger, uh, that was not your shining moment. Oh, you should, because Ian brought this to our attention.
2: When Roger Goodell was asked about <laughs> gate, which I think the three of us, agree was a sham of an investigation and certainly a sham of a penalty. He talked about data, (laughs) data on that. And we know there was all sorts of data thrown around. But his quote was, I don't know what happened to the data, to be honest with you. We don't look back at that. We just make sure there are no violations. Wait a minute. You don't know what happened to the data? Ian, you you work with data all the time. You lose it that easily?
0: No, no. you. you... (laughs) I'm 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 a lot. Uh, my decibel level is a lot lower than it was this morning because I've had some time to think <laughs> and let this stew. But but um, the only way you you have this type of response is if if you have very little regard for the intelligence of your audience, and and that is the nicest way I can put it. Because what he's saying is is a load of bleep. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. We don't like the cuss on this show, so I won't do that. But. You know, you, you just don't lose data. I mean, especially if you're an organization who spent two years investigating, prosecuting and pushing this entire case to somehow just lose this most important data that you, you know, vouched and, and said you were going to collect and release. I mean, they didn't have to say they were going to collect and release it, but they did. And we knew right then that they weren't going to do it if it didn't come out favorably. And here we are seven years later hearing all this information and like, yeah, sounds about right. And, you know, Roger Goodell having all this time to think about it. That's the best answer he can come up with. (laughs) Basically, I lot my dog ate my homework. Did you say (laughs) prosecute? Yeah, Yeah, that's
2: right. Did you say prosecuting or persecuting? Both. (laughs) Both. I'd I'd say both. (laughs) I do, too. I do too. I mean, you got it. You got to come up higher. You got to come up with a better
1: answer than that, right? I, 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 don't, I don't know what happened.
2: Don't and, look at and, me. And, I'm just the he,
1: commissioner. Clark. He's got 14 people giving him advice on how Oh my
2: god! Unbelievable. Oh, anyway, on that note, we're going to wrap this one up. That's the end of this week's i Tell you podcast. But you can find this or any of the other podcasts on our website. That would be fullpresscoverage.com. And it's easy. It's really easy. In fact, our it's so easy. You tell our listeners how they can do it.
1: Clark, I can't even find my way to the 7-Eleven, Clark. <laughs> it's, down, it's down the block. Uh, I will yield to you when it comes to technology, my friend. What do, oh, I wow. do? What do they got
2: well, to just, do? They just go to fullpresscoverage.com, and then you look at the menu above there. And on the right side, at least on my screen, it says podcast. You just pull it down, and there you look at the number of podcasts. We are the I test for two. Click on the eye tester, two, and you will hear these voices. Very simple. Even, even Cosmo can do it, right? <laughs> there you go. If Cosmo we can do it, so can you. Anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.